Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. everybody for joining us here tonight on this live cast we appreciate you joining in and for all of us taking a step in a different direction or a new direction with the things that are going on in our country and our world we appreciate your patience and helping us jump some of these hurdles along the way uh, if you'll stay with us we're going to teach God's word tonight and hopefully by this coming Sunday we'll have uh, more of the band here and uh, so on and so forth in order to uh, meet you in your homes with the word of the Lord and with worship. God's body is not regulated to a pew or to the carpet or to the drywall of a facility. Uh, the people are the church. The people are the church. And so regardless of what takes place, uh, we still exist as the church tonight. Before we get started in the word of the Lord, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer for our nation want to go to the Lord in prayer for the different needs of the members of this church and those that are within our community and the state of Illinois. Can you join me right now from your homes? And let's cry out to God. Amen. Together, if his people will pray, amen, he'll, he'll hear, he'll listen, he'll, hear our, he'll heal our land. God, we come to you tonight. We're so thankful, Lord, for your spirit. God, we're thankful, Lord, that you never left us. You have never forsaken us. God, you said you would be with us all the way, even into the end. We know, God, that in these trying times that you are just as powerful and present as you always have been. God, perhaps the venues, God, by which, Lord, we come together may be different. But, Lord, you're the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray, O oh Lord, over our nation, Lord, over our country, over our state, this community. I pray, O oh God, today, Lord, over each and every individual. God, the fear that has struck the heart of some, I pray, let the peace of God, the passive understanding, Lord, keep their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, I pray. God, you're able to strengthen them and minister them. We pray, oh God, healing for our land, healing, God, for the members, the Lord, of our globe. I pray, Jesus, we can get on the backside of this and raise up our hands, Lord, in adoration and worship. God, knowing that you've been alongside us each step of the way and each journey. God, we're going to put our confidence in you and our trust in you. Your word says you become a shield to them who put their trust in you. And so we know, God, tonight as we trust, God, you are becoming a shield. As we trust, oh God, that you are, Lord, a hand of protection. God, and we can depend upon you and have confidence in you. And whatever may take place, in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. And the church say amen. If you'll meet me tonight in the book of John, John chapter number 19, uh, for those who attend the First Apostolic Church, we started a series uh, last Wednesday, uh, and we are going to continue in that series here tonight uh, online. Uh, if you are joining us and you're not a member of our church, welcome uh, to the First Apostolic Church. We are happy to have you, and uh, if you want to find last week's lesson, you may uh, here shortly be able to find that on our podcast. Uh, you can find that on Apple Podcasts and several different venues and, and, and catch up perhaps where we are. Uh, we started a series last week called How to Live Through a Bad Day. Um, I subtitled it Crosswords actually some time ago. Uh, it was two pastor friends of mine had recommended a book to me entitled How to Live Through a Bad Day. Uh, Pastor Tony Frederick and Pastor Merrill Weir both recommended that book to, to me. And so these different principles that are being brought to you uh, 
not just coming from a book, but they are coming also from the Bible, from the seven last statements and words uh, that Jesus gave from Calvary, the words that he spoke, knowing that that was perhaps one of the most horrific times that he had in his own personal life, but it was beneficial for all of humanity. From what he said and what he spoke, we can learn some things on how we should approach uh, the dilemmas, the bad days, as it were, uh, the difficulties in our own life. If you will remember, for those of you that were here, last week we spoke about how from the cross Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so we looked at the concept and the idea that one of the things that we need to do in our moments and time of difficulty is to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin our life or those who we feel like are trying to ruin ruin our life. And forgiveness is a very powerful tool in those moments. And particularly when we consider that the individual that may have done something to us, particularly what we are presently going through, uh, they may not know what they are doing. Uh, Maybe not to the extent of knowing the hurt and the pain that it is going to cause you or the extensive Uh, of that in your life secondly we looked at whenever Jesus said verily I say unto thee today shalt thou be with me in paradise as he spoke to one of the malefactors that was next to him Uh, we gleaned a principle how we can help others who are experiencing the same struggle that we are experiencing oftentimes in our struggles we think that we are no help to anybody else and we become quite self-absorbed in our own struggle Uh, believing that we need help so we can't help anybody else. But uh, Jesus on the cross, just like the two malefactors being on the cross, though he unjustly and they justly both knew what it was like to hang there, to feel the agony and the pain. And even in his own moment of pain, Jesus uh, extended help to someone else that was in the same struggle. And so that was last week. And we ended last week with the idea and concept that not only did Jesus help the thief on the cross, but he helped his mother Mary, who was at the foot of the cross. She was having a uh, tumultuous time, a bad day herself. I mean, the child that she had birthed from her womb uh, was hanging on a cross in this moment. And all of us that our parents could maybe begin to identify with the way that our heart sinks uh, whenever our children are going through struggles or difficulties or problem, uh, Mary, a part of humanity as well as anyone else, had those feelings seeing her own son uh, being crucified on a cross. And Jesus, in that moment from the cross, instructed John, the beloved disciple, to care for his mother Mary and watch over her. I'd like to read John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And please understand that when he spoke woman, he was not being disrespectful to his mother uh, to cry woman to her was a very enduring, endearing term uh, for that time. Verse 27 says, then saith he to the disciple, this is John now that he's speaking to, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. So I believe it's important here this evening to emphasize that when you have a difficult time or a struggle, a bad day, if you'd wish to call it that, when you're going through a struggle, the people not only that are going through the same struggle that you are, uh, need your attention and your help, but also the people that are closest to you, those that you love and have admiration for and those that love you unconditionally. uh, We need to care for them because in that reality is this, that they are suffering too. They are suffering perhaps indirectly because you are suffering. Anybody that we have association or an attachment to, when we see them struggle, there is a certain part of us that cries out alongside them in their struggle. 
they, they Mary, for instance, may not be suffering in the identical way or the identical fashion that Jesus was struggling in, but there was no doubt a spillover effect type of suffering uh, by her being connected to him as a mother and being associated with him. It's true, no doubt, according to the word of the Lord, that Jesus was suffering on the cross and that a spear would pierce through his side. But the Bible teaches us that a sword was piercing Mary's heart as well. As a matter of fact, this is what Simon in the temple had prophesied concerning Mary whenever they brought Jesus to the temple for that first time when he saw the child Jesus and had taken him up in his arms. The Bible records for us in Luke chapter number 2 and verse 34. And Simeon blessed them. Simeon, that is, blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel for a sign which shall be spoken against. Now note verse 35, here the parenthetical phrase, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Again, verse 34 tells us he's speaking to Mary. And so uh, he's speaking here in this moment that there is going to be a sword that's going to pierce through her own soul. He goes on and says, the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. No doubt he is alluding to whenever Jesus was to be crucified. He's a babe now, but whenever he would be grown and be crucified upon a cross, that he would suffer agony, but she as a mother would suffer agony alongside him. A sword shall pierce through her soul because of the association of that being her son. There's a certain amount of suffering that she was going to contend with as well. For that matter, most scholars believe that Joseph uh, was quite a bit older than Mary and that as a result of that, when Joseph died, uh, Jesus would be the eldest child and thus, according to the culture of their day, not just the eldest child, but he would be responsible for the care of his mother. But now that there's the picture of Calvary in view, the picture of Golgotha, that child, that firstborn, if you will, that she would be dependent upon. He's being crucified on a cross. So in her mind, this mother's mind, not only is her son's life, uh, according to everybody in that arena, being taken, but also her means of support and care is leaving her as well. So Jesus knowing this, Mary knowing this, he is very intentional from the cross. He wants to give attention to the future needs of his mother from the cross. He, he's stepping outside of the idea of just being self-absorbed with his own pain and uh, perhaps disappointment and, and woe in the moment and thinking that my mother is also experiencing something in this moment and there are thoughts going through her mind even about the future and so I want to attend and care for this lady that loves me and that is near to me although I'm suffering my own thing on the cross and so the Bible says that Jesus then saw to it that John one of his dearest disciples, as a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, John oftentimes refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. I suppose I would do the same thing if I wrote the Gospel of John. I'd say Paul, the disciple that Jesus loved. But nonetheless, one of his dearest disciples, uh, he set up John to care for and to tend to his mother Mary. Uh, again, John is the beloved by his own mission, and according to the records, of scripture. He is the only disciple that we see that followed Jesus even all the way to this Calvary setting and this Calvary in, uh, environment. Uh, Peter had followed at distance and he was of course warming his hand by the fire during uh, all of the council and the judicial uh, hearings if you will for Jesus. But John is here at the foot of the cross alongside Mary. And so Jesus is going to take care of her. Here is something perhaps that we need to consider in this principle of caring for those uh, that are near to us when we are going through our own struggles, and that is this. Just because our pain or just because our trial creates needs of our own 
does not remove the fact that there are those around us, namely our family, our spouses, our children, so on and so forth. It does not remove the fact that there are those around us that depend upon us for some of their needs as well. With that being said, what we need to convey tonight is this, that in our own struggles, for instance, uh, we can't stop being a mother. And we can't stop being a father. We, we can't stop being a parent to our children just because life has thrown us a curveball. Curve uh, we can't stop uh, if it were different, if we're a child going through a, a, a difficult time. We can't stop being a son or a daughter uh, to those others that are in our sphere, our parents and perhaps other siblings because life has thrown us some circumstances that we're not too well pleased with in that moment. We can't do that any more than Jesus uh, couldn't leave his mother unattended to after his departure, after they would take him down from a cross and lay him into a bar tomb. There are several different types of near or close relationships that we could consider in this tonight when we talk about caring for those that are near to us. Uh, but for one relationship I'd like for us to consider here this evening, consider the relationship of husbands and wives for a moment. Uh, the one flesh verbiage in the scripture, in the Bible, uh, goes deeper than just a contractual or a coven covenantal union recognized by heaven or by our state government. It goes beyond the one flesh physical union experienced in a venereal uh, relationship. There are spiritual and emotional connections forged as well in this one flesh mutual uh, symbiotic might I call it relationship and whenever I talk about a mutual symbiotic relationship I'm talking about a relationship in which both parties benefit uh, from the connection the association uh, it, it's maybe uh, more of a trend today than what it ever has talking about symbiotic relationships uh, symbiotic relationship in its essence is where at least one of the parties is going to have a benefit but when you talk about a mutual symbiotic relationship both parties receive a benefit. A common thing in nature that might express this would be like bees and flowers. Uh, bees go from flower to flower, connecting or gathering the nectar rather of the flower. And then the, the flower itself, uh, the, the, the pollen that gets on the feet of the bee as it goes place to place helps pollinate uh, then uh, the different flowers. So the flowers benefit and the bees benefit. But whenever we consider that a mutual symbiotic relationship, both benefit, then I believe it serves to reason that then if one suffers, it's going to have a direct impact and effect for the other party. Since both benefit, then if one suffers, both are going to suffer to a certain degree. And this is perhaps no more acutely seen or even vaguely understood than when a man, speaking of this man and woman, husband and wife, a symbiotic, mutual symbiotic relationship, when, when they experience, a man experiences some of the same physical and psychological pregnancy symptoms alongside his wife or even sometimes instead of his wife. There may be some men out there that instead of your wife having morning sickness, you had the morning sickness. Uh, or perhaps you both have had the cravings and the, the grocery bill went through the roof. I don't know. But uh, it is documented that a range of pregnancy-related physical and psychological symptoms that men have experienced include some of the following. Men have, they have experienced abdominal pain, bloating, back pain, lethargy, morning sickness, toothache, food cravings, aversions. Even some of the prominent uh, psychological symptoms include antenatal depression. They've experienced mood swings, early morning waking, anxiety, poor concentration, distraction, and memory loss. And I know you might be saying right now, you know, Brother McGee, that is some extreme example to illustrate that we, emphasize, we emphasize, empathize uh, with the difficulties of those that are near to us or close to us, or we suffer from maybe some of the same things that they suffer from. And I realize that may be an extreme example, but it is accurate to some level nonetheless. And one reason we must care then for those people in that close sphere of our life when we are hurting is because we often neglect it when we are hurting. As a matter of fact, oftentimes we find ourselves doing just the exact opposite 
rather than tending to and caring for them, we find ourselves maybe having a tendency to hurt them. And I'm not talking about necessarily in a physical way, but with words, you know, or, or just a bad attitude. We have a tendency to hurt them and lash out at them. Lash out, mind you, at the ones that are the closest to us. Our spouse, I know that there are some people out there in their homes tonight that can say amen, that you've been in moments whenever you've had a bad day and your bad day have become other people's bad day. Those that are oftentimes the closest to you, uh, children to their parents, parents to their children, your spouse, because you were going through a troubling time. And so rather than tending, for, tending to them, you lashed out at them. And so what we are doing, we, we, we are frustrated, right, in those moments we're conflicted with what we're dealing with, and we, we wrongly make those close to us a target. And we make them a target because we need something to focus all these emotions that are going on in our life in that moment. We may have anger. We may have disappointment. We have this big old cauldron of an emotional brew, and we're needing somewhere to focus it and wouldn't you know the short straw has been drawn and it's usually those that are closest to us. I can tell you personally uh, here tonight that uh, I've been guilty of taking my emotions and my feelings out on my wife because, you know, life maybe perhaps wasn't very accommodating at the time and things were going helter skelter in my own life and uh, I, I would take frustration out upon her maybe speak in a tone a little bit more abrupt than what I normally would uh, because of the frustration and my wife uh, being the kind lady that she is uh, she would always remind me with just some very simple words which is good for any of us to practice and she would say honey I'm not your enemy I'm with you in this. I'm with you in this. I'm for you. I'm, I'm the good guy. Just a simple reminder to me was this. I know you're going through something, and here's the real reality. I know you're going through something, but because of our connection and our association, I'm your wife. I'm already receiving a little bit of the suffering, not because of what I'm saying, but just because she sees her husband going through something and experiencing a struggle in that moment. She knew I was hurt. As a matter of fact, she was with me in it. I mean, she sleeps where I sleep. We eat at the same table. She's going to understand that I'm going through something. And her heart dropped to a certain degree because she is intuitive about knowing something's going on in my life. And so in those moments, as a pastor, as a husband, whoever we may be, in those moments, just as Jesus did, we must consciously, consciously care for those near to us. We, we, we got to, Jesus could have been so self-absorbed with the blood that's running down his face and the pain that his body was riveting with, but he had to make a conscious effort to care for his mother. And so likewise, we got to make a conscious effort to care for those that are near to us. That is not the time to push them away. It's not the time to add insult to injury. Uh, here's the thing. If these people that are near to you have compassion for you, like you know they do, the reality is they are already suffering because they notice that you are suffering. So that number three principle from the saying of the cross, John, behold your mother, mother, behold John, and he took care of her from thereafter. Jesus was tending to somebody that was near to him and close to him, and we should do, we should do likewise. There is another statement from the cross uh, that I wish to pick from Matthew 27 and verse number 46. Matthew 27 and verse 46, Jesus said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The principle that we can endorse in our own troubles with this statement is this. Aim your hard questions at God and not man. Aim them at God and not man. Jesus' own disciples, from the Garden of Gethsemane to uh, the Judgment Hall, before Pilate to Calvary, Jesus' own disciples had fled from him. Peter had denied him. Judas, of course, had betrayed him. A large segment of Jesus' own people, the Jews, had turned on him. Yet whenever Jesus felt 
forsaken, and rightfully so. Whenever he felt forsaken on the cross, he didn't ask any of those individuals or any of those people groups the question why. Instead, he asked God why. And so what we have in this utterance, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What we have in this utterance is the same thing that we have in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whenever he's speaking and asking that the cup may pass from him, nevertheless, at thy will, thy will be done. It's also what we see in the notable high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17 as well. What we have in this episode on the cross is seen in both of those other venues, and that is we have the human nature of Jesus Christ that is crying out and praying to the divine nature. Jesus is crying out to God. The human nature is crying out to the divine nature. And this question from the cross are really found in the opening words of Psalm 22 in the Old Testament. Uh, being that in that hour there was not the uh, chapter and verse divisions like we have today, a phrase like, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, would help direct the people uh, to the place and the, the, the section of the holy writings that were being referred to. And so whenever Jesus cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, all those that were students of the holy written, the word, knew exactly that place of scripture, of psalms, of, of those holy writings that he was referring to. And that psalm is a messianic psalm. It is a psalm that was given by the psalmist uh, a day that was thousands of years uh, removed from the moment of Jesus' crucifix. Yet it was recorded in Psalms before it ever happened. And if you will, look at Psalms 22, verse 1 and 2, just in the opening words. And you can read all, all of that psalm in your own time. But just in the opening words, look at the questions and, and read through that chapter and look at the reasonings and the arguments that are within it that are being spilled out by the psalmist, which is a messianic song, psalm which identifies with Jesus' crucifix. Psalms 22 and verse 1. My God, here's those words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Verse 2, O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. Those are, some, those are words not only that Jesus, of course, uh, would utter and identify with at Calvary, but those are words that there's not a living human being that hasn't had some point of time in their life that they felt as though they were forsaken by God. If we want to be honest with ourselves, it, it doesn't matter to me how religious you are, uh, how Christian you are. Uh, humanity, somewhere along the way, I guarantee you, if you've not met your day, your day will probably come. But humanity has not had an hour or a point in time in their life when they didn't feel, and that's important, feel, when they didn't feel as though they were forsaken by God. And it is my own personal experience, if I can speak from personal experience, it is my own personal experience that we feel the most forsaken when it's most difficult for us to feel the actual presence of the Lord. It's when we can't sense his presence or that he is there, that we're not feeling anything. Those are the times that we have the ideas and the concepts that we are the most forsaken because we don't feel anything. We have scriptures though, right? We have scriptures through God's word that, that comfort us and reassure us of his presence and of him being there for us, even in our dark, bleak hours when we feel like he isn't there. The scripture reassures us, for instance, in Hebrews 11 or 13, 11, it speaks that he will not leave us nor forsake us. There are other passages that tell us in Acts 17, whenever the apostle was speaking on Mars Hill, he said that we need to feel after him. And find him, though he be not far from every one of us. And so there are words speaking of his nearness or his nighness, even though it may not feel like he's nigh or near. But when you feel alone, it's hard to believe any other reality. It's hard to believe any other reality. The Bible says in Psalms 142 and verse 1, the psalmist says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice into the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I shewed before him my trouble. 
Again, it is in troublesome moments that our prayers feel like they reach no further than the ceiling. We're praying against a brick wall, as it were. The psalmist even recalls back in Psalms 22, he'll begin to talk about how the Lord had come through for the generation that preceded him. The Lord had come through for a generation that was before him, that had trusted in him. But the psalmist will say that he feels like that he is void of deliverance, void of, of, of any help, which does nothing more but foreshadow how Jesus would feel on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But in all this, I think it's important to underline the principle that we're looking at here tonight. When you ask your hard questions, ask those questions to God rather than man. I'll tell you here this evening as a pastor over a, a congregation that there is nothing, there's nothing wrong with asking God questions. There's nothing wrong with asking God hard questions and perhaps right now at this point of time in America and across our globe there are perhaps a lot of people asking some hard questions right now they're asking some questions that uh, they are seemingly uh, lost for any answers from a mortal man because we're all in this moment of of difficulty and tragedy and suffering at this particular time there's nothing wrong with asking God some questions I believe in the scriptures there is a man by the name of Job in the Old Testament he leveraged many questions toward God during his time of woe he leveraged many questions to his creator and his maker Consider just a few, Job 3, verse 11 and 12. Why died I not from the womb? So Job's going through some horrible things. He's thinking, why didn't I just die after I came out the womb? And I wouldn't even never had to face any of this. Why died I not from the womb? Why, why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Verse 12, why did the knees prevent me? And why the breast that I should suck? He, he's wondering, why, why did I even live past a moment of just taking in my breath if all of this was going to happen? There are so many question marks uh, within the pages of the book of Job. I, I, I just kind of took my fingers and I, I panned through there yet again today. And I began to look, question mark, question mark, question mark. So many questions uh, that are filled into the book of Job. And, and here's the thing. If it wasn't his quote-unquote friends uh, asking questions, then Job was asking the questions. And there are several questions that Job doesn't address to a man, but he addresses in particular to God, all right? Because almost all of the help from, and I say quote-unquote help, all right? We understand that the, 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 the friends were really comfortless. Almost all of the help from his friends were, were hopeless, and he's been asking God even some questions, one after another. Seems like God is almost silent in all of this, but lo and behold, come around chapter 38 of Job. God answers Job. Now this is interesting. This is, this is where God humors us because God has this, this way and sense about him that when we ask a question, there's many times that he answers our question by asking us a question. And uh, that's just, that's one of those things that sometimes gets as a burn, some people saddle concerning God. But he has a purpose and there is revelation that he brings about sometimes in just posing a question. I would like for you to consider how God answered Job and some of the questions in God's answer back to Job. A litany of questions, if you will. Consider these. This was God's response to Job's questions. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Where's the way where light dwelleth? Hath the reign of father... Davest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks? Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? I mean, God's asking. Job's been asking questions for a long time, seemingly silent. God comes out of nowhere and starts asking Job questions. I mean, our humanity is like, that's really not what I was wanting to hear, God, with all the questions that I had. But you've addressed them to God. You've addressed them to the right place. The point I would like to underscore here tonight, the point of the questions that Job was hearing from God was to place Job in his position of being the mortal man that he was. For that matter, placing mankind and humanity in the place that they are mortal men. They weren't there when the foundation of the earth was laid. 
None of us was there to know if the rain had a father, so to speak. He was putting us in our place, but he was causing there to be a contrast between mortal man and him as God. Knowing that we are mortal, we are fallible, our knowledge is limited, but he is God. He knows about the laying of the foundation because he was the one that did it. He knows about the rain having a father and where light dwelleth because he did all that. And so he is emphasizing, if you will, himself as that eternal, trustworthy God. And with that in mind, then, we have the reassurance that we have not asked our question of anyone better than asking it of God, this eternal trustworthy God who knows the answers to the questions that he is asking me because he is the author of them. For that matter, again, all humanity is mortal. I don't care what type of status they may have in life or title. We are mortal man with limited knowledge. But God, he is all-knowing. As Jack Hayford said in his book, uh, How to how to get through and how to uh, survive, if you will, a bad day. He said, in life's darkest hours, there are usually no human beings with adequate answers, which is a tremendous reason why we should address our questions to God. So I urge you, I implore you, go on and ask your questions, but direct them to God. Here's the fact of the matter. You may or may not get an answer in the instant. You may not get it in a week, a month, or you may never get an answer. But you can rest assured there is an answer that lies with the eternal God who the Bible says whose ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, neither is his arm short that he cannot save. Uh, Unlike all the gods of the Old Testament and the idols that had ears and could hear not, eyes and see not, Voices could speak, not all those things. The Bible describes to us of a God that hears our prayers, a God that bends, if you will, and bows down heaven, amen, and gives us the attention when we cry out to him. But herein is the problem. The moment that we are unable to find a reason to our why, a reason behind our suffering, is the moment that we're frustrated sometimes beyond calming, frustrated sometimes to the point of becoming embittered, embittered at the circumstance. Sometimes people even become embittered at God for allowing or permitting, if you will, something to happen to them without a justifiable, and when I mean justifiable reason, I mean a good reason. Uh, We feel like God owes us a full explanation of why this has happened or that has happened. Uh, he owes us a reason, and if he doesn't, some may even just cast off, well, what, what type of God is he anyway? Well, I'd like to share with you just a few scriptures concerning the type of God that he is whenever we address our hard questions to him. The Bible says, and I'm going to read several scriptures here uh, at different locations. The Bible says, Deuteronomy 29 and verse number 9, the secret things belong to unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. There may be some things that we'll never know uh, all of the realities or all of the details concerning the wise, but God knows they belong to him. Isaiah 45 and verse 7 Look now, look look what the scripture says here. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. It's something to ponder, something to consider. Isaiah 55 and verse number 8 and 9, uh, verses of scripture that are probably dear to many people's hearts during times of need when they have their hard questions that they are, that they are given unto God. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. If I could just grab another one of Romans 11 and chapter, Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, the Bible says the apostle Paul is writing, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. 
the question we oftentimes pose to God. What is happening to me, God? What's going on? What's taking place right now? And there isn't always a concrete answer for that, or at least it isn't necessarily shared. But one thing is for sure, according to Romans, his ways, they're past finding out. There is no way that we can ever just understand every nuance concerning our God. Proverbs 20 and verse 24, the Bible says, man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Again, we all have these times that we don't understand what is going on, but that verse of Proverbs 20 and verse 24 tells us, one regard tells us why that we may not understand. Because the Lord, if you have dedicated yourself to, to him and his ways, the Lord directs our going. So it makes sense if he's directing my going that there's going to be some times I won't understand what's going on or why. But here's the fact of the matter uh, tonight, viewers. If we want to squander our life searching for human reasons behind divine plans, we will frustrate ourselves in living our lives. A backslidden Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he went on a journey. He went on a journey in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's trying to make sense out of several things in life. He's in a uh, backslidden state, as it were. And as he's going through trying to make sense out of several things in life, He's trying to do this without the God factor in his life. It's life under the sun. It's life set apart from God. And he concluded some of the things, many of the things that he was investigating, trying to make sense out of. He said, they're all, they're all just vanity. They're all meaninglessness. And that's properly the proper estimation whenever you're trying to look at things without God, when you are giving your questions just to another mortal man that looks back at you with that blank face, eyes wide open, and really cannot give you no other words of comfort and uh, help, direction, answer, uh, is quite fruitless. But uh, without God, it may be meaningless. But God gives things meaning. God gives things purpose, even when we are aware of them, or even when we are not. Many would maybe even argue uh, in the viewing audience tonight that perhaps we, uh, sometimes as individuals, maybe perhaps even as Christians, that we are stupid to believe that God would have a reason or even give a reason to some horrid event or unthinkable event that may have interrupted our lives. And we could weary ourselves without end. Uh, with all the imponderables, if you will, of life. But this one thing is sure that I glean from the cross of asking God my hard questions. Trusting, questioning, and praying to God does not mean you have to minimize the pain of your circumstance. It does not mean you have to minimize the headache of your dilemma. But what it means is this, trusting, questioning, and praying to God means you can maximize your dependence upon one outside of yourself and outside of being a peer of the same makeup of being flesh and blood humanity. You can put and maximize your dependence upon a superior, a higher power if you wish to call it that. And so with that being said, whether we're believers, non-believers, whether we're adults or whether we're children, whether we are in a religious culture uh, and have that type of setting in our home or not, uh, all of these different types of people, regardless of their socioeconomic status and who they may be, uh, people are looking for meaning in life. And some are on a journey. Many of us are on a journey for looking for a what, looking for a reason giving those questions, if you will, to others within our sphere of influence or even relationships, the what, a reason. When in reality, here is what needs to be done rather than looking for the what. And it's okay to question. I'm not saying it's, it, it is wrong to do that. But instead of looking for what, we need to find a who, a person, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So whenever it's not bad, you can field your questions, your hard questions to God. I think there's a greater insight and purpose in fielding our questions to God because when we field our what's to him, then we found really the who that we need for our dilemma and for our problem. You'll find him. The Bible says this, and I'm, I'm hastening right now to a close here this evening. The Bible says this in Philippians 4 and 7, in consideration of fielding our questions to God, the real who that we need even more than the answer to our what. And the peace of God, I think this is great even for our times right now, and the peace of God, Philippians 4, 7, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Our interaction with God, though it may be even in question form, even in these moments right now, our interaction with God, we can grant something, he can grant us something in that interaction, being in his presence, fielding our questions, as many as they may be that we have, in our interaction with him, he can grant us peace that surpasses understanding. And a take and a light on this is this, I believe. He can grant us peace that surpasses our understanding, the things we do understand and even the things that we don't understand. He can give us a peace that rise above even the questions that we are asking that regardless if I did or didn't know what the outcome was, if I do or if I don't get the answer, that I can have a peace in the who, even if I don't know the outcome of the what. And so with that, that peace can help safeguard our hearts and safeguard our minds, which I believe as a nation we need right now, a safeguarding of our hearts and minds through our trials, through our difficulties. So as you are going through your struggle, the two things for tonight is remember to care for those that are near to you, your family, your children, your spouse. Don't let them be the target. You are in that situation, struggle together. And number two, do not forget, do not forget to give your hard questions to God and not man. Before we close our live session here tonight, I would like to pray one more time that the things that have been spoken will will have been of help to somebody or to someone else who may view this and that it would be a word of encouragement for us during this, 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 this time of what some would say was peril uh, that we can find our help and that we would have the peace of God granted to us in our interaction with him, with our questions. Lord, we come to you right now. God, I pray, oh Lord, tonight, God, for those that have been online to view, Lord Jesus, this lesson, God, of statements from the cross, Lord, and how you contended with perhaps the greatest, the greatest woe of your earthly ministry. I pray, oh God, help us, Lord, to adopt, God, some of those, Lord, reactions and responses in our own struggles, even right now as a nation. Help us, Lord, together, Lord, our families around us. Many of us are sequestered, Lord, to our homes. And God, day in and day out, we are with our families. Help us, O Lord, to lean on each other. Help us, O Lord, to care and tend to one another. We are in this thing together. Lord, I pray, O Lord Jesus, today, help us, God, to field our questions to you. God, you will not be upset. God, you will not turn a deaf ear. God, you will not turn a deaf ear. God, I pray, oh Lord, today you'll hear us. You will listen. You may or may not respond, but we can have confidence, oh Lord, that you heard. We can have confidence, oh Lord, that all things are under your control and plan. You were the creator. You knew who, who the father, who the rain's father was. You were there at the foundation and the creation of the earth. I pray, oh God, we put our trust in you tonight and our confidence in you. I pray now, oh God, send peace. Send peace into the homes, Lord, of every viewer. Send peace, Lord, into the homes, Lord, of our nation. Keep their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, I pray, oh, Lord, tonight. God, comfort them and strengthen them. And through their interaction, Lord, if they don't get their what answered, help them, God, to find the who in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.
and amen. Before we leave here this evening, I would like to say please tune in again on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Sunday night at 6. Hopefully by then we'll have uh, more of our band and some singing and instrumentation that will go alongside uh, this. So please tune back in. Share uh, this, this uh, live cast. Uh, comment, like, uh, get the word out for others that may be in their homes and uh, don't have a reliable uh, live cast to watch. Please share it as you may. And also, just real quickly, we will be forthcoming with some of the information concerning uh, giving here at the church. Uh, of course, there are still things that uh, utilities and stuff that must go on. I, I know that we're not ignorant of that, uh, but you can always use our P.O. box at the church, P.O. box uh, 326 Mount Karma, Illinois. Uh, 62863 if you want to send things like that but we have also set up a, an account on tithely t-i-t-h-e dot l-y online you can make an account and things are already set up there for us to receive giving digitally and so uh, i may do a cast in the next few days explaining the use of that and share my screen where you can see that uh, for anybody that may not be uh, technological inclined but we're thankful for technology right now in this moment we would not be able to be able to do what we are doing. So we're grateful for that. I want you to have a blessed evening. Amen. And rest well. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.